ready to jump in the Word today? Come on, let's get started. We're on week three of a series we've been in called That's What He Said. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount for the past several weeks. We took a break last week as we talked about Mother's Day. And uh, so we've been looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus. He was the greatest preacher. He preached the greatest sermon, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been walking through uh, chapter uh, 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. And so we're looking at that today, and we got a lot to cover. So I'm going to go a little fast, but I know you can take notes that fast, right? All right, 10 of you are taking notes. The rest of you are like, I'll go back and listen. No, it's the Sermon on the Mount. So far in this series, Jesus has, we, we're at a place where Jesus has, has sat on the top of a hill, and his followers are sitting on the hill, and he's teaching. He's just pouring out his heart about the kingdom, and basically what he's doing is he's challenging his disciples. Now remember, he's not just talking to the 12 disciples, but he's talking to the hundreds of disciples and thousands of disciples uh, that followed him and called him their teacher or their rabbi. And so he's been on this journey, and basically what he's doing right now is he's challenged so far his followers, his men and women, to be men and women of character, to be men and women of integrity, to be men and women of internal change, not just external change, right? He's been talking to them about that because, watch this, if character doesn't precede conduct, change never lasts. Let me say that again. If character does not precede conduct, then change will never last. And so today, that's why we're calling the message this, raise the bar. Today, we're going to raise the bar a little bit. Jesus raises the bar on our lives today because if character comes or if conduct comes before character, then we have this little thing that I like to call and is a little buzzword called behavior modification. And behavior modification is I can change or modify how I act on the external and never change anything about internal. And can I tell you, the Bible clearly states multiple times that Jesus and God are more worried about the heart than they are the skin. Are you following me today? Come on, we got to talk together. And so he's talking to us about, let me change something on the inside. Let me work on your inside. Let me work from the inside out, from the heart out. And Jesus is speaking to his followers. But here's what I want you to know. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, the reality is, is that the Sermon on the Mount really isn't for you. So you get to kind of sit back and read it from a spectator's position. But here's what it is for all of us, with Jesus or without Jesus, in a relationship with Jesus, not in a relationship with Jesus yet. It's, this, it's an invitation of what a life with him looks like. It's an invitation to a life that is different from everything else that we've ever experienced. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, Jesus makes this statement. And he makes this statement and it actually kind of riles some people up. It gets them worked up. It gets them kind of frustrated. And it's verse 17 and 18. And he says this, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Abolish means get rid of, erase. But I came to fulfill. Watch this, verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all Is accomplished. So we have to ask ourselves in some of these questions why did they get so uptight? Well, in order to understand why people didn't like that phrase or that statement Jesus made, we have to understand what is the law? The law in that day uh, took place when the Israelites were in the wilderness, right? And they were going from the Egyptian slavery 
And they were going to the promised land. They were doing all these things. And if you remember, Moses goes up to a mountain. And he comes back down and he's got what? The ten. That was the law. And it was the law. The Ten Commandments was everything to the Israelites. Whenever Jesus gave, or, or God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> he goes and he goes, the law, here's the law, here's what we live by, here's what we do. And the law to the Israelites became life. The law became life to them. So now he's going, I didn't come to get rid of the law, but why would, he be, why would that even need to be said? Because when you get to Leviticus, you start seeing where all the religious folk, the Pharisees and the, all these people, the, the teachers and the preachers and everybody that had life figured out way more than the normal person, they started adding rules and more laws to the law. And so it went from 10, it actually went from 1 in Deuteronomy, it, it went to 10 and then it went to 300 plus. It's crazy. And so they had all these, here's some of the, the laws, right? Here's some of the laws you would find if you look through Leviticus hard enough. It's this. Uh, what do you do if you have, there's a certain thing you have to do if you have mold in your house. Mold in your house. Yeah, it's called, call a mold expert. They didn't have those then, right? Uh, what do you do if you touch a dead animal? That was in the law. Wash your hands. That's right. What, what if you have an infectious disease? What, who you can and cannot have sex with? Here's a short answer. Only your spouse, by the way. Um, it even added laws like the types of food that you can and cannot eat. They started adding laws and rules and regulations, and that's where religion became more important than relationship. And can I tell you, in America today, in the world today, specifically in the Western culture that we live in of Christianity, we are more worried a lot of times about religion than we are having a true relationship with Jesus. A true relationship with Jesus, your outward motion, your outward life comes from the inward commitment. But a lot of times we think, if I can change how I act, then what I believe on the inside will change. And can I tell you, that is not the case. That's called behavior modification. So over the years, the priests and the teachers began adding all these laws. And because Jesus lived kingdom, watch this, this is crazy. Jesus, the Son of God, came and he lived the kingdom of God on earth. It was oftentimes contrary or different than the law that the religious people were teaching. So it was, here was one, right? This is one of my favorite stories. Jesus walks into a synagogue one time and there's a man there with a withered hand. He's, he's got a crippled hand. And you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. You were supposed to just sit there. So Jesus walks in, sees this man, and, and apparently Jesus' heart begins to break. And his heart begins to hurt for this man. And he looks at the man, and he says, come here and I'll heal your hand. And the man comes forward, and the, and the Pharisees and the teachers and the priests start just yelling at him and, and, and just cursing him. And like, how dare you on the Sabbath? We don't heal. And God basically, Jesus basically looks at them and makes this statement. Is it better that I let him suffer or heal him when I have time? He's in front of me now. Why don't I heal him instead of worrying about your laws and regulations? And so everybody thought, because he lived contrary to this stuff, that he was just coming to get rid of it. And Jesus said, no. I'm not coming to get rid of the law. I'm coming to become the law. I'm coming to take every part of the law that you cannot fulfill, and I will hang it on a cross, and blood will drip down the, the cross and pool in the sand beneath me, and I will breathe my last breath, and I will shout out to Telestai, it is finished. And what I mean by it is finished is what I mean in that moment is the law has now become fulfilled, and religion doesn't get you to heaven. Relationship does. That's why, yeah, come on. That's the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's why... 
That's why Jesus never looks at us and he goes, get it right on the outside and then we'll work on the inside. He always goes, give yourself to me first. Because everything comes out. Everything comes out of that. And so it's just essentially what Jesus is doing is he's inviting us to this journey of a life that looks completely different from anything else. And so we're going to look today in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, at some, uh, uh, some statements. And I want you to pay attention to two specific statements that you'll hear over and over again in these verses. And it's this, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. And let me give you a little precursor as we read these. The reality is Jesus was essentially telling people in this time about grace. About grace. Remember, remember back uh, the first week of this series, blessing is getting something you don't deserve, and grace is not getting what you do deserve. So where he's talking about, I'm not going to give, this is how we don't give people what they do deserve. I want to teach, and this is what Jesus is saying, I want to teach you that grace raises the bar, that grace changes the game, that grace, grace brings the bar up. It makes it higher. It makes it more important. Grace changes everything. And if you hear something today that you don't like, can I just tell you, don't get mad at me because that's what he said. That's what Jesus said. And we're just literally going to look because Jesus, in talking about grace raises the bar, he wants us to go from action to intention. He wants us to focus on intention more than our action. He wants us to go from external, and he wants us to look internal. Jesus wants us to go from hands that do to a heart that believes. And he talks about all this. So let's go. Let's keep going today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. Here's the first one. It says this. You have heard it said that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you are you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. In other translations, there's this word in there, raka. R-A-C-A, raka. Raka means fool. So Jesus is looking. Here's what it means. Fool, the statement raka, the statement fool in that day actually meant having contempt for someone. Having contempt. Or you can say it in, in, in even simpler language. It could be having anger or dishonor towards someone. And so Jesus takes this statement that seems pretty obvious to us, right? Like don't go kill people. I think all of us would go, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. We shouldn't take other people's lives into our own hands. We should honor them. But Jesus goes one step further. He goes, I'm not just telling you don't kill people. I'm telling you that your anger can kill someone. I'm telling you that the dishonor that you show them can bring murder about in their life. Watch this. This is what, uh, I don't know, the original person that quoted this. This is a quote I found this week. It says this, the person who refuses to forgive his brother, destroys the very bridge over which he himself must walk. Let me say it again. The person who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the very bridge over which he himself must walk. If you want to know how serious Jesus was about this topic and about our anger and dishonor and contempt for people, let's go to 23 and 24. Therefore... If you are presenting your offer, offering at the altar, right? He's going back to the law. 
You have to offer a sacrifice at the altar in a certain way. If you are offering um, at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Watch this, verse 24. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. In other, in other words, Jesus is saying this. Your worship is meaningless if you hate your brother. You can't worship God in love and hate his kids. You can't ask for a forgiveness that you will not offer. Jesus is flipping the script here. He's going, grace, give them what you feel like they don't deserve. They don't deserve. Bless them with the offering of forgiveness. Give them the grace of another opportunity, of another chance. Because Jesus, I think he's saying this, Jesus begins at the value of life. Everybody's life matters. He's saying your contempt, your anger, your hatred, your dishonor towards your brother is in conjunction with murder. And can you imagine people's heads spinning kind of like yours is right now? Because most of us have had situations in our lives where it's hard to forgive somebody. To where it's hard to let it go. You don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't, but I know what he did for you. And all Jesus is saying is if you've given him your life and you're following him and you're walking in the kingdom, I need you to hear me. This is what Jesus is saying. Do not worship me another second until you get it right with my kid. Do not bring an offering that means nothing until you get right with my kids. Because I love my kids so much that one of the ways you show me you love me is by loving them. Do you know one of the greatest ways that people can honor me in my life is to love my three kids. And how you treat my kids is how you treat me. And any parent, grandparent in here would probably say the exact same thing. But the truth is, is that's all God's saying. You've heard it said that you shouldn't kill others. So number one, here's the, here's the number one thing that he's teaching us. Grace makes wrong relationships right. Grace makes wrong relationships right. He's asking us to live at a higher level. Grace raises the bar. Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 28 says this. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <laughs> let's, let's keep reading about how serious Jesus... You know what? We'll, we'll go to that one in a second. We'll go to that one in a second. Jesus is is promoting commitment and dedication to one person. Because I can't help but think that Jesus would go, if you would cheat on somebody in the physical, how do I know you wouldn't cheat on God in the, natu- in the spiritual? Your commitment is to be to one. And see, he's talking very practically. He's talking about it in a lot of ways because back then, and much like today, adultery was defined as someone as sexual intimacy between you and someone that isn't your spouse. And so that what they would think in that day, this was very common, is they would look and they would have conversations and there were certain things. They just wouldn't have sex together. And so they would get to the line, and as long as they never crossed the line, we were safe. I haven't committed adultery. I didn't sleep with them. We didn't have sex together. There's no chance of that. And Jesus raises the bar again. And he goes, I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm telling you don't even think about it. Jesus goes, I'm telling you, you may notice her, but you don't have to go back for thirds. 
And you don't have to go back for seconds. So you may notice him, but you don't have to hang out on that thought. Jesus is going, it's not about what you do as much as what you think. Because watch this. Every action begins with a thought. There's no action you made today. See, last night, I say it like this. Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. You have to decide in your mind on Saturday night, I'm going to set my alarm and get up and go to church Sunday morning. When we don't decide that Saturday night is when the alarm, we wake up at whatever time we go, I don't have time to get ready. And so we miss the communion with other believers and we miss what God's speaking in the house that day. Why? Because we didn't make, everything starts with a thought. Nobody wakes up on Monday morning and goes, you know what? I think I'm going to wreck my marriage, wreck my kids, wreck my finances, wreck my job. I'm going to wreck my life by sleeping with somebody that's not my spouse. Nobody does that. But what they do is they begin thinking and paying attention to a thought way longer than they should. And so Jesus is going, it's not about external, it's about internal. And here's the reality. He talks about lust. And the problem is, in today's world, is way back in the day, you used to have to go look for porn. But today, porn comes to find you. Porn finds you. Watch this. Let me, let me read you a few things, because actions begin with thoughts, right? Watch this. Over, did you know that over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to pornography sites? The average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. Did you know there are around 42 million pornography sites on the internet, which totals around 370 million pages of pornography? The porn industry's annual revenue, watch this, is more than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined. Annual it is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. Pornography. Watching people have sex. We got to have a real conversation about this stuff, don't we? Come on, are we good? Here's another one. 47% of families in the U.S. report that pornography is a problem in their home. And pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Because watch, you're thinking about it, and it does turn into an action eventually. Because you've devalued what Jesus is valuing, which is commitment. This is one that breaks my heart, and it actually scares the snot out of me. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. If we don't talk about this stuff, and we don't take what Jesus talks about in lust to a personal level, we can help Satan destroy the next generation and destroy marriage. In fact, <clears throat> Jesus is so serious about it in Matthew 5, 29 through 31, he says this. He says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For, for it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better that you lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Y'all, it's insane. Jesus goes, he's not literally saying, like, take you a, a, a scalpel and pull your eye out and cut your arm off. Here's what he's saying. He's saying basically what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Run! Get away from sexual immorality altogether. If it is sexually impure, run. Go the other direction. 
Do not hang out. Do not pass go. Get a flip phone instead of a, uh, an iPhone. Get, you, get rid of your computer. Let somebody see your history on your search engine. All that stuff. Do what you got to do, but get out of town from that stuff. And Jesus is going, because it ain't about creeping to the line and never doing it. It's about what happens up here. He's raising the bar. Grace raises the bar. Are you still with me today? So here's the other one. Here's point number two. Grace doesn't lust. Lust is wanting what someone else has or who someone else is. Let's, let's, let's keep going because I got a lot to get through. Well, 31 through 32 says this. It was said, whoever sends his wife away. Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's doubling down on this adultery idea. Now, I know there's divorced people in the room today, and I'm not here to condemn any of that or be a part of that. But here's what Jesus is basically reinstating. Marriage was God's idea. In Genesis, it says one man and one woman came together. And later, Jesus says it like this. Let what, no man, let, let what God put together, no man can tear apart. Here's what he's saying. In fact, he goes on and he says, and he explains it like this. He says, any other reason than adultery that you uh, divorce from your wife is because of a hard-hearted person somewhere in the relationship. Now, he's not saying the people that are divorced are going straight to hell. I'm not up here to tell you that today. I'm, what I'm here to tell you is that unlikely what happened is somebody had a hard heart and refused to be restored by God in that relationship. And so there was something that can never be worked through. And Jesus is simply saying this. Stop, because back then they would find every reason possible to divorce somebody so that they could go find somebody else. They ate the sandwich that I had left over from dinner last night that I was going to eat for lunch, so I'm divorcing them. She doesn't have sex with me as much as I want. He doesn't work like he should. Those are real things that took place. Not the sandwich thing. I made that part up. But he's saying this. Grace gives opportunities. Grace restores. And he says, when you come to a place where one of you are hard-hearted, that is the only reason that divorce takes place outside of adultery. And Jesus is going, value your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Do what you got to do. I'm just one of those that I believe that everybody has their set of circumstances and sure there's reasons for things to take place, but I'm one of those that believes you can grace through a lot. You can grace through a lot of things. You can grace through a lot of arguments. And as long as you have a moldable heart, you can learn through it and get through it. But I'm just telling you, Jesus is sitting here going, there's one reason. He was talking to them. He said, there's one reason, one reason only that people get out of this without a hard heart and it is adultery. He's doubling down. He's teaching on adultery again in this whole thing. So he's given us this point that is this. Grace restores. Grace restores relationships and grace restores people. And I don't know about you, but I am grateful that his grace has helped restore me in all of my mess, in all of my mess ups, in all of my shortcomings, in all of my faults, in all of my failures. I am grateful that his grace has stepped up and restored me in my relationship. Anybody else in the room grateful for his grace of restoration? Matthew 35, 33 through 35 says this. Again, you have heard it, heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
Skip down to verse 37 for me. It says this. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. One of the, one of the popular things to do in that day, and we still hear it today, is people would, would, would sw- I swear to God, I was taught growing up, boy, I'll get knocked. I'll knock you flat for doing that. No, they would teach me, you don't say things like that. Just saying that just now made me very uncomfortable. But it was, it was a thing. I swear to God, or I swear on this person's grave, or I swear on this, I swear on that. And here's what Jesus was doing. God is not a negotiation tactic that you use to make somebody believe you. His name is higher. His name is greater. Jesus was basically saying this. Why don't you mean what you say and say what you mean? Because watch this. The character you have to others is defined by how you follow up what you say. Let me say it again. The character others see in you is is defined by how you follow up what you say. Hey, I'll be there at 9.30. It's 10 o'clock and you haven't shown up. That affects character. Hey, I'll have this done by this time. And it's not. And you didn't even let them know. That's a character. Hey, I promise you that when I feel better, we'll go do this. Hoping that they forget. That's a great parenting tactic. It does put them off for a while. But kids don't forget. (laughs) But it's also speaking to our character. And it's teaching them, if you can put somebody off long enough for them to forget, then you can lie. Hear me. Jesus is speaking to something deeper. He's not just saying, don't say, I swear to God. Don't say, I swear to this, I swear to that. Just say this. I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. Because grace tells the truth. Can you stick with me for two more real quick? Grace tells the truth. Let's skip to 30. Is this helping you today? Is this helping you 38 through 42? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We love repeating that one, don't we? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him. (laughs) That's hard, right? If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, what's it say? Let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. See, the law justified. Give them what they gave you. They treated you that way. You treat them that way. And Jesus goes, no, I say offer grace. Hey, if they want to sue you for your shirt, give them more. Give them your hat. Give them your pants. Give them your shoes, too. The shoes would be hard for me to give. Give Give them what you got. Here's what he's saying In other words, Jesus is saying this. Grace goes the distance. Grace doesn't quit when it gets hard. Grace doesn't justify a retribution. We let God take care of that part, don't we? He says, this basically, let me boil it down like this. God's saying, let me take care of the fight. You just show grace. And you just show love. Psychologists tell us that violence is actually born out of weakness. 
It is the strong man who can love and suffer hurt. It is the weak man who thinks only of himself and hurts others in order to protect himself. And Jesus is going, you actually show more strength when you offer grace rather than a fist. You show more strength when you give above and beyond rather than just giving them back what they gave you. Here's the last one. Verses 43 through 45. Jesus ends with a bang right here. It says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I love how Jesus gives us an example. He goes, I know you're going to have enemies. And can I just tell you, just because somebody puts something on Facebook about you doesn't mean they're your enemy. Just because they posted something you don't like, I mean, you're enemies now. And he goes, people are going to hate you and people are going to come against you. In fact, he says, when you come to me and you start living as the kingdom, expect it. But here's what he says. Pray for those who persecute you. You know what I think he would say? I don't know that he would say this, but this is how I would say it. It's hard to hate somebody you pray for. It's really hard to hate somebody you pray for. And so Jesus looks and he goes, hey, I want you to pray for them. Don't fight back. Don't get crazy. Just offer grace. Because grace loves without limits. Grace loves without limits. And here's what I love about this. Jesus never asks us to do something he hasn't already done. He did every bit of it. He did the same thing. In fact, Hebrews teaches us that he was challenged and tempted with the same things that we are today. And he got through it without blemish. I want to encourage you that what I think Jesus is challenging us to is something that a friend of mine calls a second mile citizen. Because we're citizens of the kingdom. And what a second mile citizen looks like is a second mile citizen goes above and beyond. A second mile citizen doesn't just walk mile one, but he walks mile two. A second mile citizen doesn't just love. Because isn't it easy to love people that love you? That's easy. But it's really hard to love somebody that hates you. A second mile citizen makes a difference through their actions that have come through an internal change. We wake up every day with the opportunity to be a second mile citizen. To love your neighbor is the first mile. To love your enemy is the second mile. And I think some of us haven't become a second mile citizen of the kingdom because we haven't fully committed to walk out the first mile. The first, love your neighbor is mile one. To love your enemy is mile two. To bless those who bless you is mile one. To bless those who curse you is mile two. To do good to those who do good to you is mile one. To do good to those who hate you is mile two. Praying for those who pray for you is mile one. Praying for those who despise you is mile two. See, the first mile is crowded, but the second mile is wide open. See, the first mile is congested, but the second mile doesn't have a lot of people. The first mile is bumper-to-bumper traffic, but second mile, the mile two, is smooth sailing. The first mile is a gridlock. The second mile is deserted. Let's be, you want me to tell you how we can change our communities? You want me to tell you how to change your family? You want me to tell you how to change your workplace? You want me to tell you how to change the world? Be a second mile citizen of the kingdom of God that doesn't just go mile one, but we go mile two. Come on, somebody. It is time to be second mile citizens. 
And that is what life groups can help us with. Because we can take things like this where we walk through it quick and then sit down and break it down. But it's where we go, you know what? I'm not here to just hear a sermon. I'm here to let Jesus change my life. Can I pray for you real quick? I want to pray for you. We got a quick video and then we're going to get out of here and change the world. Father, I love you. God, thank you. Thank you for the challenge of being a second mile citizen. Thank you for the teaching of Jesus and what it means in our lives. Change us from the inside out. Change us internally so that externally we are examples of your goodness and your grace. Let us walk out of here today and have some handles that we can carry the kingdom with us. And God, we love you in your name.